0: Hello and welcome to Science Shambles, producer Trent here. Over the last weekend in July, the Cosmic Shambles Network did a takeover of the listening post at the Latitude Festival. We did three different panels outdoors at Latitude on climate change, mental health and immunology. If you couldn't get along to the festival, we obviously recorded all of those sessions, so we're going to be putting those out here on the Science Shambles podcast for you to enjoy if you'd like to support cosmic shambles network you can do that on patreon at patreon.com slash cosmic shambles and you get lots of extra shows and behind the scenes stuff and all sorts of goodies for subscribing on there and don't forget you can watch live at 10 a.m every sunday for the science shambles q a show each week robin ince and helen chesky joined by two special guests to take your questions on a variety of different science subjects. That is free to stream on our YouTube channel and obviously here on the Science Chamber's podcast. Now, here is the second panel of the day from Latitude. This is Dr. Helen Chesky in conversation with Dr. Susie Gage and Dr. Dean Burnett about mental health during the COVID 19 pandemic.
1: Welcome to this Cosmic Shambles event on mental health at Latitude. This is presented by the Cosmic Shambles Network. Uh, and Cosmic Shambles has lots of events on uh online events especially. Uh every Sunday at the moment we are doing 10 a.m. We are answering science question and answers. Um quite a bit like this, but online, and it's there every Sunday apart from today. So have a look at cosmicshambles.com if you'd like to join in with that. And so let's get started with the topic of mental health. Although I, I have to say, talking about this at a festival, it's an important thing to talk about. It also feels it's a good place to talk about it because most people at a festival are happy to start with. So hopefully, every, everyone is feeling um, in a good good place to start talking about this. You will recognise the two people on stage with me. They're Cosmic Shambles regulars. Uh, we have Dr. Dean Burnett, who's a neuroscientist and best-selling author on neuroscience and psychology, and Dr. Susie Gage, who's the host of the podcast Say Why to Drugs and an author of the book of the same name and she is a senior lecturer in epidemiology at the University of Liverpool. So there is lots to talk about um, on the topic of mental health. We are going to focus a little bit on the practical things. I mean, in the sense of the the, the very current things. So COVID during COVID, people have been talking about mental health a lot, which is great, but obviously a pandemic brings a few problems with them. And one of the things that we have I think we're starting to see in societies that people are a little, perhaps a little bit more prepared to talk about their mental health. Um, so in the interest of that, I'm going to start by asking our two panellists how their mental health has been during the pandemic. Because
2: um, I think we all should talk about it a little bit more. Who's going to go first? You moment, then. Well, <laughs> um, I had a quite a strange... I mean, I'm sure we all had a strange pandemic, but um, about a week before we went into lockdown, the first one I found out I was pregnant. And that was always going to be quite a challenging thing for me because the previous year I had a miscarriage and that really impacted on my mental health. I got quite... not. Severe, but I got quite a lot of symptoms of anxiety after that and I ended up self-referring and having some um, online CBT to to help me with Which that. Which is cognitive behavioural therapy. Yeah, um, uh, and that was very helpful and helped me to sort of process uh, how I was feeling. I'd, um, but finding out I was pregnant again after experiencing pregnancy loss was um, was exciting but also very nerve-wracking as well um I, I should also uh for the avoidance of doubt i, I had i had a baby in november and uh, the baby is currently in the comedy tent enjoying nina conti um with an appropriate adult not just ro- roaming <laughs> free <laughs> well potentially i don't I mean he's don't advanced know. yeah <laughs> um but it, the, finding out you were pregnant and then finding so that was stressful anyway And then the pandemic added a whole extra level of... At the very beginning, it was very unclear as to whether being pregnant was a high risk during COVID. Um, We were sort of put on a high-risk list to begin with, but it was sort of said this is a precautionary measure. And then it just stopped being mentioned at all. So it's like, well, have we been taken off this list? Are we still on this list? have no idea. So you were sort of trying to manage the symptoms of early pregnancy, which are pretty fun. Uh, And um, the... Like, uncertainty, not knowing, and lack of clarity, lack of Lots of different types of uncertainty
1: Absolutely. all going We'll come back to some of the specifics. Um, Dean, just as an overview, how how was your pandemic? Uh,
3: pandemic was pretty awful. Um, not that anyone had a pretty good one, like, you know, like, you living the pandemic. Just vibe. hold
1: your microphone a little yeah. bit closer. Yeah, okay,
3: so... Um, Mental health through the pandemic for me was terrible. Uh, I thought it would be OK because when it started off, I was already working from home. I had all set up. I thought, I'm, I'm set up for this. This is going to be great. And then my 58-year-old father caught uh, COVID back in March last year. In April, he died and I had to experience the grief and loss in complete isolation, cut off from all my family and whilst also uh, maintaining a even keel, visibly at least, for my two young children because they were cut off from the world. Lost their school friends and uh, they couldn't go anywhere and do anything. I was, me and my, my wife were the only things they had. So I couldn't even sort of <clears throat> show my grief in my home to sort of give them a, a consistent presence. And I'll say it hit me hard, but um, there's some stats I think which show that average alcohol consumption in the UK went up last year. That was mostly me. Um, <laughs> and you know, it's like I had no real option. There's nothing else I could do. I was stuck at home alone, dealing with grief alone. And it's been very eye opening, very illuminating. my Mental health hasn't succumbed to the point where I've needed clinical intervention, but uh, I'll say yet as the caveat to that, because, no, this is my first time out amongst crowds of people before, and I'm finding it weird. I'm sure everyone is, but I, I don't know, like, when things do go back to normal, and I, will that make the loss more palpable, not less? Will I suddenly become more fragile as a result? I mean, maybe I've given too much during this pandemic. I don't know. I'm in a very, uh, I feel okay at the moment, but I'm in I'm a sort of wary of my own mental health thanks to the pandemic so yeah that's where I'm at.
1: Thank you to both of you and the reason I ask the question is not to I mean lots of violins are due in the pandemic but that's kind of the point is that everybody had a different experience and that all of the people walking around this festival are carrying things inside their heads and you don't know like you know you could see Dean and Susie on stage and you know all of us and you wouldn't know and I think that's the point is that everybody has a story so um, what I want to ask you specifically about how knowing a bit about mental health so you both work in this area generally in different ways if you if you know a bit did it help I mean without too many specifics you know did you find that you knew what to do or that you could help yourself because it's fine to sit on the panel on stage and talk to other people when it's happening to you does, does it help to
2: know stuff go on Susie I think yes I think a little bit um Certainly, cause I'd, so the research that I do is looking at the links between drug use and mental health. And one of the things I noticed after, not during the pandemic, but when I had a miscarriage, was I found myself drinking a little bit more and it was making me feel worse. And I, because I know a lot about the links between alcohol and mental health, I clocked it maybe earlier than someone who didn't necessarily haven't sort of researched that as part of their job might have done and so it was easier at that point to be able to say right well i'm going to take a step back from alcohol i'm going to stop drinking for a bit and um that really helped me and the fact that i noticed it before it was harder to stop drinking i think was probably really helpful
3: and dean how about you um yeah it it helped to a certain extent i'm a neuroscientist i've worked in psychiatry for many many years so i knew that what i was going through was like okay i I'm experiencing this low mood. I know why that's happening. I'm currently feeling better. I know that's part of it. I know the whole five stages of grief thing isn't uh, like a, a schedule. It's more like an overview of what can happen during grief. It's far looser than that. So, I wasn't sort of surprised by much of it. Although there's plenty of which I was, like, uh, you know, unprepared for because you can't prepare for these things. And I think, <clears throat> but it was still a very vivid, raw experience to go through to have your mental health challenged in this way. And being a neuroscientist, I sort of likened it to. I felt like I was a train mechanic in a car on the motorway speeding with no brakes. I know what the problem is, but I can't do anything about it. I've just got to ride this out and hope I don't die. And um, you know that's not the most comforting place to be in, but it's slightly helpful. So uh,
1: it's a really brilliant mental image. <laughs> it's not somewhere I'm good at anyone those, wants yes. to be. <laughs> well, let's get, so let's talk about the pandemic more generally because I think this is, I mean, it, it is the universal experience at the moment, and the, there's a breadth of individual reactions that have happened to different people. So just on a broad scale, perhaps more with your academic than your personal hats, it's up to you. Um, what what are the sorts of things that have happened? Like what 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 do we know about what? Has happened to people's mental health during COVID, and what do we expect might have happened?
3: Go on. Okay, cool. I'll go first. Um, it's sort of um, it's sort of validated a few things which I think people have thought. I mean, there's a strong link between stress and mental health. There's the stress vulnerability model, which shows that, which argues that you, we, we all have a finite capacity to have, handle and absorb stress and carry on functioning. And the harder the life you have, the more stress you've absorbed. So your brain has a smaller capacity to deal with it. And that's why mental health is so intertwined with poverty or harder lives or trauma and stressful situations. And you saw that a lot. No, the pandemic has made people more stressed because it is more stressful. And it also has taken away all our ability to get rid of stress by doing the things we like. Relaxing, traveling, meeting friends, socializing, going to the pub, whatever it is we lost the ability to do that. So stress was like a double whammy of being increased by two different avenues. So you saw a lot of, you know, you've seen spikes in reported symptoms of mental health, mental health which you would expect when everyone is kind of stressed out. But there's also some things I thought which were quite telling, like at least in the early days, all the facets of society were displaying more mental health problems or signs of, apart from adolescents and teenagers, because I've written a book about this, but the things that stress teenagers out more were sort of removed by the pandemic they don't get enough sleep because of school schedule that wasn't a thing anymore or fear of missing out like your peer pressure is so important to the adolescent brain but um, nothing is going on you don't have that so they didn't show the expected spike in mental health uh, deterioration that you perhaps would have expected if you didn't know these things and i'm quite intrigued by the people who already had existing mental health problems like anxiety and depression who found it Almost like a relief. Like they showed like slightly improved mental health because like I said, earlier on, like people say like depression is the feeling that the worst has happened. Anxiety is the feeling that the worst is going to happen. When well, you've got a pandemic on, you're both right. I was like, yep, <laughs> you totally.
1: justified. yeah. Justified. You exactly. were entirely was like, right yes, entire time. I told you.
3: <laughs> One to me. And like, it sort of it helps too. It's something slightly, you know, it takes the edge off a bit. So yeah, it's sort of confirmed a few things which I've learned about uh, how mental health uh, supposedly works.
1: And Susie, what do we know? Because there've not—I mean, there obviously haven't been many studies. It, it take, like it takes time for scientists to collect data and do all you know for good reason. However, it's been sixteen months now, and we've all been watching it happening. What what do we actually know? Where's do, is there any hard science on what this has been doing to people?
2: Yeah, there are people researching it at the moment. I mean, I think you know, uh, and academics. 'll know that uh, publication can often move at a kind of glacial speed, so actually sixteen months is not that long to have collected data, analyzed it, run it, and then got through the peer review process but there are there are lots of studies going on where I'm in one actually where I get sent a questionnaire every month to fill out and people have been collecting this data sort of throughout the pandemic. And there are some interesting findings coming out. Like, so the area I work in is drug research. And there's been some really interesting studies about alcohols, as Dean mentioned. Um, they're not necessarily what you might think, though, that um, everyone started drinking more when they were at home. It seemed like there was a bit of a divide and that people who previously drank more were drinking even more at home and people who previously drank a bit less were actually drinking less or potentially not drinking at all when they were at home people who might have been sort of social drinkers and would maybe drink when they went out once a week if they weren't going out once a week just didn't drink at all but interestingly, that some of the studies that have been conducted more recently have found that actually there's been this kind of regression to the mean that, that alcohol use, while it had this funny pattern at the beginning, has sort of gone back to where people were um, before the pandemic. What goes up must come down. That's kind of what regression to the mean means.
1: And how about the effect? So one of the things, I mean, all of us have been through you know various experiences that have had different impacts on the mental health. But this one is distinctive because even though what even though people's individual reactions might have been different everyone went through something at the same time so i think uh, I, dean i heard you describe this at some point as a mass trauma event is it different is it different when everyone is in the same boat or a similar-ish boat
3: now, i think there have been some studies that show that when you no know, population experiences a significantly unpleasant event like a natural disaster or a terrorist attack you do see sort of um sort of uniformity in mental health problems and things like that so but i think it's kind of hard to pin down because this pandemic it's obviously it's a global thing literally everyone on earth has experienced a pandemic but everyone's had it in a sort of different way like the different government responses the different uh progression of it up and down and stuff so but i, I do think it, it sort of gives everyone a sort of um uh like a common touchstone as in like yeah how do you i, I felt that you you went through that as well and that can perhaps make people a bit more Cooperative, perhaps a bit add a bit more harmony, or it could be like well we've all been that. It could lead to some more dismissal and stuff. So it's hard to say because it's such a big thing and it's such an sort of unprecedented in our lifetimes that I think we will still be looking at the data for quite a few years to come. Yet
1: it feels to me almost sorry, I'll in a consumer psychology that you know it's that British thing of we don't know what to talk about so we talk about the weather. And I was away from uh, the UK during the. Uh, London Olympics, because I was, because the BBC scheduled something then. So I came back after the Olympics had finished, not knowing who Mo Farrow or Jess Ennis were. And it felt like the world was talking a different language. But my point is that it gave them something to talk about. And I noticed it because I was not included in those conversations because I hadn't watched any of these things. And it feels like the pandemic has become a way of starting a, it's a safe way, you know, isn't the weather nice? how was your pandemic almost like there's some maybe it's just made the british better at conversations
3: it sort of reminds me a bit of i think when the smoking ban first came in so the pregnancy rate went up because people were meeting outside smoking and saying hi how are you doing and then meeting people that way i don't know if that's true or not but i like the story so i keep telling it
1: (laughs) which is what a good science communicator does we should say this is you know (laughs) peer-reviewed science and then there's (laughs) dean anyway uh, so (laughs) come
2: on susie you're going to say something about mass trauma Well, just that there have been some sort of evaluations of big natural, well, not necessarily natural disasters, but, for example, Chernobyl. um, There was a, I don't know if it was an inquiry or a sort of research into it, like two decades after it happened, I think, and they actually concluded that the impact on mental health was worse than the impact on physical health, and obviously that had a huge, huge impact on physical health, but that might suggest that... We should be thinking now about putting things in place to to mitigate that, providing more support for people 's mental health as we start to immer- well emerge from the other side potentially so that
1: brings us on to um, well so let's let 's work our way through the things that might have happened to people. Because there were two, there were stage, there, were the, there were the things that happened when we went into lockdown. And then in recent, the last month especially, there's been whole different things as lockdowns are lifted. And I think the expectation is almost that when you go into the unusual thing, that's the stressful bit. But it
2: turns out coming out of this has been quite stressful as well. Tell us a little bit about that, one of you. <laughs> go on, Dean. Go on, go on. Yeah, I mean, as a, on a personal note, I've definitely found it very, very odd to be back in in. Groups of people, and I think perhaps as a new mum, which I was, um, well, I still am, I suppose, but, um, mother and, oh, or- parent and baby groups opened up quite early on in terms of things because they were they're really really important when you've got a new baby and the because they count as sport bubbles as well you don't have to socially distance you don't have to wear masks and the first time I went to one of these groups I walked through the door and very nearly just immediately backed back out again I found it completely overwhelming that everyone was just sort of back very close together. Um, but it's amazing as well how quickly you then get used to that and how that becomes the new new normal, the new old normal. I mean I'm not even gonna try. We've lost track we've lost track of the normals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
3: I think we're on our fifteenth normal now. So like yeah. would, eventually like a change in normals will become normal and then it gets meta and that's confusing. But it's um it's really quite sort of you know, profound how quickly people adapt to what is like the everyday existence. Like we all have the default mental model of how the world works that's constantly being updated and changed so when something persists long enough we think well that's how that's how things work now you wear a mask of the shops you don't approach strangers you don't uh, you know you don't you, you queue to go in places much longer you book to go to the pub and things
1: you don't have to pretend to smile anymore because you're yes, behind your mask yeah. and you can I have, I have
3: <laughs> a scary smile and it's um not the best but like yeah like you say it's very strange to start talking to people face to face again Look, I, I, I did a talk the day, I almost forgot to wear trousers. Oh, this isn't Zoom. I can, people can see my lower half and that's you know, that's different. But also, for me personally, like I, I've meeting people the first time since. like They know I've lost my father and like, they come at me and say, I'm really sorry to hear about your dad. And like, I don't know what the response is. So I just go, it's fine. I, like, well, it's not fine. Like, it's not like you know, I have other parents. It's not like, <laughs> I, I don't know. What got the, covered the, of them. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what the protocol is there because this is all new to me. And just like, uncertainty makes me more stressed out. And if you got, like issues in mental health anyway that's just going to amplify that
1: and yeah and it's i have noticed maybe it says something about our age but my dad also died during covid and and it's you get these odd people like oh i didn't know it's like well i haven't seen you how were you supposed (laughs) to know and people feel apologetic there's this weird kind of apologizing for apologizing and everyone's trying and no one really knows where to go i think again you're
2: highlighting the britishness of the situation (laughs)
1: Um, well, let's talk about... So what happens next? Oh, let's actually, let's do some bit of myth-busting here. So with the alcohol bit we've talked about, so alcohol, there's a pattern. How about suicides? There was a discussion about whether suicides increased during uh, COVID. What do we know about that?
3: Um, there was talk, like, obviously, that's people think that's a sort of direct corally of mental health. Like, if people's mental health is worse, then suicide levels go up. And you know, there is some argument for that, but it's not like a one-to-one thing. Most people with mental health issues do not end up dying by suicide. Um, so, but there was a, like a study published a while ago, like uh, the the Office of National Statistics said that the suicide rates were down last year in the UK, which suggests that people were handling it well. But you have to look through the minutiae of that because it's not that there were less suicides, that there were less reported suicides because the medical infrastructure was really busy with COVID and all the responses to that. And there was delays in collecting the data and people like di- know, certifying things, there were fewer of them. So it could be that there weren't so much uh, fewer suicides, they're just less noted, less recorded. Uh, but when you present that data as suicide numbers are down on last year, that does muddy the waters as to what's actually going on. So it, hopefully it's not the case. I mean, it's even in the practical sense, like when everyone's stuck indoors, everyone's watching everyone else, there are fewer opportunities for it. I mean, as cynical as that is, that seems to be an effect. So, you know, they, you get these figures, but they're not necessarily saying what what the surface level says they're going to say. You're going to look, going to look into it and say, oh, so that's why that happened. You have to take the wider context into account.
1: Uh, and just quickly, Susie, on other uh, other drug use,
2: uh, do we know anything about whether that changed during COVID? There's some interesting patterns. I mean, I wouldn't say we, we know loads, but like, so I've done a bit of qualitative research looking at how people were talking about their drug use on forums. And we found some quite interesting patterns that some people were finding that, um, for example, if you're in recovery, you might have certain things that you need or that you choose to do because it helps you maintain your sobriety. And that might be meeting up with groups of friends, or it might be something that you couldn't then do during lockdowns for example and that might really then make that very hard you 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 might not be able to go into work which might be the structure in your day that you need to keep yourself um where you where you want to be but conversely other people found actually peer support groups went online and so people who were more isolated could actually access support more easily than they might be able to in person Um, some people found that uh, they they were given, if they were on um, uh, medication to, su- uh, I've forgotten the word that I need, substitution medication, sorry, my brain, newborn baby. Um, all pandemic brain. Uh, all yeah, I parents, mean, yeah. <laughs> take your pick, really, or the third day of a festival brain, you know. <laughs> uh, um, so if you weren't able to get your, to your GP so much, they were giving out larger... Um, supplies of these substitution medications which could be obviously quite tempting if you've got a big stash of this of this substance it might be easier to take more of it Um, whereas other people found that actually that really worked with the way that they um dealt with what was going on for them so it's really it's really interesting patterns and then um supply of illicit substances getting into the country was obviously affected and um how dealers yeah, obviously the smugglers was were self isolating <laughs> as well <laughs> well, I mean, but like fewer fewer um boats coming in and things like that, you know that all that kind of thing um and how um Drugs were then distributed among communities. Was also affected. Um, so yeah, there's all sorts of interesting things going on.
1: And so, what what happens next? Let's talk briefly about what happens next because I think that it's it's you know we are somewhere through the process. It's not at the end, but we are in a tent in a field. So we're definitely somewhere we weren't last March. Um, what happens next? So you have what has been sixteen or I've said I've lost count. How many months it's been? Sixteen or seventeen months of. A lot of uncertainty. Um, some, you know, like f- like practical problems. People not able to work. Maybe not being able to earn enough. Those sorts of things. All of this stress and uncertainty constantly. And now we're sort of here, wherever here is. What happens next? Like how long? Because I feel there's a, you know, there's a. Um, you can deal with it. Some for some people, you can sort of deal with a crisis. Uh, if it's a month long or two months long, or if it's got an end date, but there's no end date to this, so what what happens next to us all, to all these poor little brains?
3: Um, I think it's going to come down to there's going to be a lot of sort of sorting out the new normal again, but like on a more long term basis, because now that lockdowns sort of come into an end in the UK, and there are lots of different sort of rules or lack of rules now we are got to sort of see people will have a different approach. Some people want to get straight back to normal, don't want to mask, don't want to distance anything. Some people are going to be really scared still and want to do all that plus more because no one else is doing it. And you can't really have, like, everyone doing that their own different thing. There's going to be some sort of... Uh, you know, mishmash of okay. What's what, what's the standard? What, what do we expect people to do? There'll
1: be some collective decision.
3: Yeah, I don't think it, it won't be conscious. It'll just like okay. So if I do this, then I feel okay, and then after that, I feel okay. I think it's going to take time to work that out because obviously everyone's got. Uh, you know, a lot of opinions on how this all should work. and
1: Well, that's an extra source of stress now, isn't it? Yeah. Is that there's actually... the, the desi- Having to make decisions can be quite stressful.
3: Totally, yeah. And that's going to be... You know, Especially with mental health already. If you're already quite stressed and dealing with mental health, the added... Uh, just the cognitive load of going outside and saying... Is this person safe? What does this person expect me to do? How is that person going to react if I do this? Do I wear a mask? Are people going to stare at me if I wear a mask? This all adds to the, to the load, and that's going to sort of exacerbate things even further, I think.
2: Did you have- Yeah, I-, I was just sort of going to echo really what Dean was saying that um, when there was a lot of structure imposed on us, that took away some of the sort of social stresses of if you yourself don't feel comfortable in a certain situation feeling pressured by family members or friends to put yourself uh, in a situation where you don't feel comfortable i don't think it's necessarily sort of fear it's it's feeling uh, like within your parameters of what you find acceptable and weighing up this risk the more external um sort of rules that there are upon you then the the more that's taken away and as and as those rules are lifted it it really uh, as you say Dean makes this sort of gulf between how some people feel and how other people feel more dramatic and if you want to socialize with people who have very different boundaries than you that can then be really really challenging or if you work with those people you know there's all sorts of environments where these interactions happen and we're constantly now going to be weighing up, as Dean mm. says, this, this, these decisions.
3: I do know a lot of people who are socially anxious or introverted, who are so sort of really resentful of losing the excuse to not go and meet yeah. people. Like, I can't COVID, in, so now they've think of their own excuse. So
1: they were staying in and they were happy because yes, everyone had to stay in, and now suddenly society expects yeah. things of them. And What is this?
3: Now I seem antisocial rather than just obeying the law, and that's a different thing.
1: Um, so let 's just talk about uncertainty, so it seems a lot of this that comes back like that why Dean does uncertainty why are we so bad with uncertainty? What is the problem with our brains? you know we grew up you know human evolution has had lots of uncertain things in it. Why are we rubbish at it?
3: Uh, well, a lot of those uncertain things killed us on that sort of um, you know <laughs> evolution learns a lesson from that. And it's I think that's a big part of it in that at the most fundamental levels the brain does not like uncertainty because the brain's always like looking for threats, trying to simulate what's gonna happen, anticipate, respond ahead of time to think, right, this situation, how would I deal with this if it goes wrong? We like that. That's reassuring on an instinctive level. Something uncertain, you don't know what's gonna happen and it could be something bad and you have no way to prepare for it. So uncertain things are generally sort of something our brain likes to kind of avoid, or at least you know, keep an eye on and downplay. and it, it, We have the threat detection systems in your brain saying, okay, uncertain thing, just keep the stress thing going because that might be dangerous. It's like, you know, keep an eye on it or keep part of your brain dedicated to it. and That's where sort of stress comes from. So the, the constant awareness of something which could be unhelpful or harmful. And so anything that's uncertain, just on a fundamental level, we react in a stressful way to it. It could be minor, it could be quite moderate. and um, But that's sort of the fundamental reason for it. We just don't like it because it could be dangerous and so we can't do anything about it because it's uncertain.
1: So in the longer term, so looking, we are in a situation now where people are talking about mental health more, I think. Is that your perception? I don't know. People well,
3: they are... talk to me a lot more about it, but I suppose right. that's not necessarily a <laughs> bit of a confirmation bias there, perhaps.
2: I think we've been going, getting more and more, I was going to say more and more better, but I'm not sure that's very good English. But we, as a society, we are getting better at talking about mental health and I think that has been happening since before the pandemic as well. And in fact... Because I have done some research looking at, um, how mental health in adolescence has changed over time. And quite a lot of questions we get when we're talking about that is, yeah, but that isn't that just, it looks like there's more mental health problems because people are feeling more comfortable to talk about it. And that's over the, like, the last 10 or 15 years. And maybe there's a little, there's something in that, but I don't think that's the entire answer. So maybe COVID has accelerated that, but I think we were already getting better at talking about it. I hope so anyway.
1: So what do we do next? Because it feels like there are these consistent messages that come out with mental health, you know, that we should not be afraid to ask for help, that we should be, you know, just talk to me, just normalise it as part of the conversation. Are there bigger things? I mean, I guess the societal things, but how do we, as a society coming out of a pandemic, how do we make it a better coming out of a pandemic from a mental health point of view rather than a worse one?
3: Um, I think the general advice I would give to people who ask and they have done is that you're going to feel bad things are going to feel unpleasant it's going to feel awkward it's going to feel stressful but that's a healthy valid reaction to what you've gone through and what this world's presenting you with it's not wrong to feel stressed it's not wrong to feel uneasy about things when you don't know how they're going to work or you're not sure yet it's a learning curve you have to experience these things and it's something which I've sort of railed about a lot. Uh, it hasn't seen as much in the last few years, but it, it does pop up in the whole toxic positivity thing. The idea that you have to be happy as a default, otherwise something is going wrong. That's really harmful. That's a really unhelpful and unhealthy way to go about your life because we, we know, the human brain has the suite of emotions. We can experience all of them and we should experience all of them. Happiness is a reward state, which is what's meant to happen when something good goes on. You should then go back to normal until something else good happens. Or, you know, if you, it's good to be happy Like on average more often than not, but to be constantly happy is really kind of unhelpful for how the brain works. Like i have like, like it to... It's sort of the equivalent, if, if you go to the gym and you are never work your left leg and after a few months you've got a really big left leg and you know, it's a strong left leg but you look weird and you're going to fall over a lot and you, you, your body's going to
1: fall around in circles. Yeah, so lot, if you yeah. only
3: have one emotion ever and suppress all the rest, that's going to be you know, that's going to confuse how your brain works. It's going to be really unhelpful for your mental health. So, like, yeah, you're going to feel bad. You're going to feel stressed. You're going to feel rubbish, and that's okay. It's like you know, embrace that, embrace it, you know, just let it happen.
1: And how long? Because I think a lot of people. I think one of the things we're perhaps facing now is that, um, you know, people go, okay, well, there's a it was stressful. There's a period of feeling rubbish. I kind of get that. I feel, you know, this. Uh, something bad happened and i'm recovering but how long is this going to take like you know should i expect that i can just you know feel a bit more relaxed it's summer i can sleep i can spend you know a few days at latitude and that's just going to sort it all out how how long does it take for a traumatized brain to recover from that trauma
3: not me again (laughs) um it could take well it's a it's a, it's a cop-out answer I know but it takes as long as it takes it depends what you've dealt with who you are as a person how your life is going you might just because the pandemic's over doesn't mean you le- your life is suddenly free of all stress so anyway, this, this thing can be kind of a lifetime improvement thing And but like with most mental health stuff it's not about cure or fixing it's about adapting to what's happened like, now my brain's got this in it so I'm going to have to learn how to incorporate that into how I engage the world so yeah I think yes it could take as long as it takes but the idea that you have to you know, get back to normal is perhaps a misleading one too. You're, you're not going to be normal again. You've been through this now. The person you were before didn't have these experiences. You can't go back to them. You're you now. You're the new you. Work that one out, I think, is perhaps a better way of looking at it.
2: I think someone once described grief to me as like going through a waterfall, is that um, when you've come through the other side, you're in a different place. You, you'll you dry out again, but you'll be somewhere else. And I, and I think that applies here. And also... The, the, the pandemic isn't over. Um, like So we might be coming out of lockdowns and things, but how we live and how we like come out of this, I think there is, a good, for some people, that that it's not the lockdown that was the thing that was difficult. It was knowing that there is a global pandemic happening and, and that hasn't changed. So for the people who were struggling with lockdown, then things might get easier more quickly. But for the people who are uh, struggling with knowing that there's this virus around that might be a bit more more challenging because that is probably not going away anytime soon and we might have to uh live with it or change how we live for for a long time
1: um we'll come to some audience questions we've got some time for audience questions so we'll come to that um in a little bit but just thinking about the um oh we've suddenly got because you got some music from over there um thinking about the uh coping mechanisms. So, Susie, when it comes to um if if whatever's whatever happens next is going to be complicated and difficult. Actually, I'll come to a point before that, which is that the language that that question that thing about toxic positivity. It does feel now as though as a you know, I've got epidemiologist friends who are saying, well, you know, the winter this is not, you know, it's not going to be all um, sort of sparkles and fairies. Um, and people just don't want to hear it. Mm. And there's this really difficult thing where there's a public health message, which is the pandemic hasn't really gone away, but the, the gem- one common reaction is I, I can't hear it. My brain is, does not want to deal with this. Like, how, how do we deal? What is there a good way to deal with this situation? How do, how do we let our brains in down, you know, allow them to be a
2: little bit, to allow some uncertainty. So it's not just unrealistic. I think it's a very difficult one because it is it it has been going on for so long that that uh, everyone said at the very beginning oh well not everyone sorry Uh, some people said at the very beginning that um, there would be no point in introducing a lockdown because everyone would get fatigued of it or or wearing masks because people would sort of not not do it because they would they would do it for a little bit and then they'd get fatigued with this idea and don't want to do it and actually that's not what happened at all and people were very compliant and very good at doing it but there is this this idea that if people are the messaging as well has not helped uh, that the people are just now have really had enough of it and unfortunately the virus doesn't know that though so i don't know if there are any good answers as to how to deal with
3: that though um i think you, this, this probably a balance to be struck between the virus hasn't gone away but we are in a better place than we were i think it's a there's a certain puritanism amongst people who talk about the, the virus in like no it's not gone away yet so we must not do anything at all uh, until it's gone away completely which is probably never going to happen because obviously it's going to be a recurring thing for forever now like the flu is as people say so like, I think this puritanism isn't necessarily helpful because on a, you know, in, t- in terms of pure numbers it can be great so everyone locks down for two, three years until the virus is gone that'll be good from an, you know, a viral point of view, but that's not how people work. It's a case of, you know, you have to, the trade-off between, okay, we keep the virus down, but we also, people need to be able to go about their lives in some sort of form which is not completely monitored and suppressed. So, yeah, there's a balance to be struck, I think, but I, I don't think you necessarily have to say everyone sort of doesn't want to hear it, but that's understandable. Like, we've we've heard a lot of it. It's not like people are just suddenly going, oh, I, I, I don't care anymore. It's just like, you we only have a certain capacity to deal with bad, bad news, so you need some good in there as well. And you know, what you know, the trade-off between what the consequences are is going to be a judgment call from hopefully people who are good enough to make it, but uh, that seems unlikely.
1: So, does is this, is this become a question like whether we should tell white lies? You know, Father Christmas doesn't exist. Does it? Has it got short-term <laughs> <term> benefits? <laughs>
3: um, yeah, what I, 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 lies is perhaps not the thing, but I think just, you can say like, you know, here are the facts that. that the virus is less dangerous than it was because of vaccines. So you can do these things. But if you do that, this is going to happen. And uh, I think there is some scope for that. But you know, kind of beyond my area now, so I'm not going <laughs> to... Yeah, as... I, th-
2: I think the difficulty comes is that the people who are the most vulnerable, then it, you you can you run the risk of having a sort of tiered society yeah, that's, where that's some people feel, well, I'm fine, I'm low risk, so I'm going to go and lick a stranger um and then other people are uh, at higher don't risk don't have that luxury yeah exactly and so then you get this this division which obviously would would not be ideal and would potentially be problematic for mental health so
1: in a really complicated world it's another whole load of complications to deal with yep. has the audience got any questions oh right at the front down here we like the ones right at the front once you watch your question so we've got a question about um, motivation, specifically of young people, is that right? And how like, loss of a routine can be demotivating in itself. So if, if you're facing a situation which still might happen where there is a lack of motivation and connected to a lack of r- routine, what, what could we do about that?
3: Um, yeah, I think the routine thing is a big part of it because that's what sort of lockdown stripped away from everyone. Like, a lot of people have said lockdown has give them memory problems because, you know, there's no landmarks in our, you know, this is when this happens, it's just all one big consistent blur. And that, you know, we, we thrive on routine. We like to know what's going to happen when. So, you know, how you would impose that or, like, it's going if we are at home, it'll involve all the self-discipline, which is tricky when, obviously, there's no obvious benefit in sight. And I think the, the problem with the the school thing is that you could have, like, home learning lessons online but no, that's not the part you enjoy about school. They don't like their learning and studying stuff. It's the the social engagement, the peer approval, and the the, the friendships you make. You stripped away all the positives of the, the school. You
1: basically took away all the pros, yeah. and you're just left with yeah. the cons. But
3: you got to do the cons, <laughs> and also you get, so yeah, it's really hard to become motivated in that sense. And some people can obviously teenagers do it all the time. They do they practice really hard for the exams and stuff, and. I think if there was some sort of way to say, like, yeah, your efforts are going to be rewarded or at least validated, because the whole thing with the exam debacle, like, oh, let's just, uh, let's just pick a grade and give it to them, who cares? And that's that's good. That's one thing the brain really doesn't like, like spent effort being wasted. It really so you've does... earned
1: a reward, but you've not been given the reward. Yeah, that like, is
3: really demotivating. Exactly, it completely yeah. destroys motivation. So if we can stop doing that, that might be helpful.
1: I think it's been really interesting, just as a university academic, this year that um, we have had a lot of. We've just had our exam boards. We've had a lot of discussion about how well students have done, and lots of them have done really well. And there's this, some, some that is partly because of other things to do with. uh, the course is changing and expectations changing, and we we just gave them so much more teaching during COVID. But it is also to do with the fact that they worked really hard, and it was really interesting that academics are so used to um, worrying that they were like, well, why why are we should, we need to make our exams harder? And I was like, no, the stu- there was literally nothing to do except work, so they worked really hard and they did really well. Have we got any other questions out there? Let's always go to the middle, in the middle there, shout out. Okay, so the question is about um, the the fest- reactions to the festival itself and whether what we're seeing here, and I have to confess I haven't spent a lot of time walking around uh, out and about in the ground since I got here, but is this... Is there going to be the roaring 20s? We're all going to party really hard because we've remembered what life is all about. Or is this does this reflect a slightly more cautious thing where we're all okay to be in a field, but we're not going... In, inside an open-sided tent is the most inside we're going to go. What, what have you seen here?
2: Well, I think... This festival, I mean, one of the things when I was uh, writing notes for things to talk about, and we were thinking about um, coming out of lockdown, one of my uh, things I was going to suggest was uh, was not to overdo it, to take take it sort of. It, it, when you come to a place like this, it's very easy to get a bit giddy. I think, and I mean, what I was really thinking of when I made those notes was um, was uh, the the Euros and then you really, you really that was giddy, and then some. Um, but I think it's very easy when you feel like you've been restricted, like the day the pubs opened could have been very, very messy, and particularly where um, where uh, psychoactive substances are involved as well. I think um, people, if your tolerance has gone down and things like that, it's very easy to overdo it. And, and um, it doesn't seem like that here from what, I mean, admittedly, I haven't been here in the evenings, so... I, c- I can only comment on during the day but it's it seems like every other latitude I've been to which is which is really wonderful but it does feel like I've stepped into a parallel universe and when I leave the site I'm going back in and I, I, I feel like that I don't know whether other people feel like that as well so the but
1: wristbands your magic path exactly to a, like and, and the,
2: through the back of the wardrobe this is just some little treat and and but it's not going to last for very long um and I think that can that I think there's going to be a lot of people with a proper festival come down after this, and I, I don't mean a psychoactive substance-induced one. I mean, like a stepping out of this, and like. Given that the weather's been so much nicer than we were expecting, as well, um, I got I think... drenched in the rain yesterday morning. It's not been that good, oh. but yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be fair, I was off site about five minutes before the heavens opened yesterday, so it seems like it's been great to me. But <laughs> so, what do you? What are your observations in the in the
1: celebratory versus just oh, we're all going to stay in our boroughs stuff?
3: Uh, well, I say I also got drenched at the festival, but uh, I already arrived at twelve o'clock and uh, the three mile walk from the car park. This is my third shirt and I'm one of life sweaters and it's yeah I could see the point in like it's it does feel weird to be back in a place where there are lots of people around I took a video of just a crowd of people in the middle of the of the site like that's just something I didn't think I'd see in person I thought like it felt like I was watching the reruns of clips from telly like back in the early lockdown <laughs> like oh yeah that's that's a thing like oh they come in this way it feels like a swarm and it's really it'll take a while to readjust to what things were and I don't know if um let's say winters come in like the
1: winter is coming can <laughs> you hear him yeah. get the scientists here
3: yeah. I've, well, yeah I'm a scientist I know these things and it's you know it's it's hard to say cause obviously the pandemic is where they're related in terms of it affects our behaviour and how it spreads and stuff so but at the moment I think there's the novelty factor of we haven't done this for like a year two years and we didn't know if it was going to happen again but when you're sort of stuck indoors for months in winter it feels a very very long way away summertime so um, I think there's a novelty of this but if this happens again next year in the same way hopefully it won't have the same impact because there are people like, oh, it's like last year, you have you have, you have, know, a different framework to approach it with. So I think it's going to be a mix of both in terms of you know, ups and downs, but also it'll fade a bit because it won't be so novel anymore if we can keep doing it.
1: It's hard to tell because it's such an immediate reaction. And I guess one thing that is mixed up with that is people who've re-examined their life for whatever reason. I don't know how who's compiled the stats on that, but it seems to be quite high that people have looked at the way they were working or commuting and they've just gone, well, I'm not doing that anymore. And so there's other reasons that, that get tied up with all of this. Have we got any other questions? There's one down the front here. Yes. So the question is, the question is about um, people who've changed aspects of their personality during the pandemic and whether some of those might become permanent, whether events like this can make a personality trait change for good. Um, or whether it's just a temporary thing that we all might go back to. I will say, just while you give you a chance to think, that um, so I, someone close to me is uh, lives in Christchurch in New Zealand. Was there during the earthquakes when you know buildings literally fell down. There was no water and electricity and all that kind of stuff. And uh, and he said that a year, two years later, everyone had forgotten. They'd all gone back to all their all the things he didn't like. He said he said during the earthquakes there was. Um, People were you know, really nice and there's a good community spirit. And he said it was depressing how, what a short period it was before everyone had gone back. But in principle, personality traits like that can, uh, could there be big shifts?
3: Um, I'd say there can be because one of the problems is like, I think people underestimate how social humans are. We calibrate so much of who we are, how we behave, how we think by the reactions of other people. Like, we sort of like the concept of embarrassment as an emotion, but it doesn't exist in. In, in separation from other individuals, like if you're in the bathroom, your towel falls off, like that's inconvenient, if you're in the hotel lobby and your clothes fall off, that's embarrassing that's a very different thing, it feels very different Even though know, the same sort of thing has happened, so because we've been cut off from so many people you can sort of see shifts that way, as in if you had these particular traits before which were always offset by people's like, you know, their reactions to you, or like you wouldn't do that normally because how people respond now they're not responding, they're not there, so you have to sort of, you, you experience the extremes of it, and then you might not like it, say, so oh, I've got to stop doing that. That's a really bad thing to do. Or you might think, I like when I do that, I'm going to keep doing it. I mean, I, through the pandemic, I don't know if anyone else got this, I got really sick of the sight of my own face. Just like, <laughs> at myself, oh God, you're, that you, guy again. And I got really, really annoyed. You were
2: obviously looking in the mirror more than I was. <laughs> or when you're on Zoom and things as well. Yeah. Like, so constantly having your face in the corner when you're at, on work meetings. It's just... I've ah. that
1: bit switched off. I've not been looking <laughs> at myself. Okay, we are almost at the end of our time here. Just before we finish, um, I just wanted to ask both of you for, in, in the general sort of mental health coming out of a pandemic, if you've got one piece of advice, particularly if it's not one of the more obvious ones, have you got a recommendation
2: for everyone...
1: Something that, something we can take with us to make our mental health better rather than worse in the future.
2: I think for me, what I found when things started reopening again, um, and I was finding it a bit hard, trying to do something for me, like something that I had missed like not necessarily a big thing, but just a small thing so I could gradually kind of expose myself to situations that um, I hadn't done for a while and, and around more people and that kind of thing. Um, I found that really helpful, just like maybe one one thing a week or one thing a day if you want to go at that speed. Like, be kind to yourself and go at your own pace. Dean?
3: Um, sort of vaguely similar to what Susie says, it's really important to recognize that you're not going to feel good all the time is it like there's no threshold there's no sort of target to hit in terms of well I should feel better by now because I'm out of the pandemic or I'm out of lockdown it's not how it works it'll take a while you will experience negative things and it's okay that's the healthy thing to do you're dealing with a whole new situation with a whole new set of parameters and that's going to take time so if you don't feel good straight away that's okay that's healthy don't nothing wrong with you. Don't force yourself because that's when that's when problems can arise. and you suppress the emotional responses that, no, uh, that your brain's having for a reason.
1: Brilliant, great. And just to finish on a positive note, I will tell you about the thing that made me laugh most yesterday, which is that I was cycling through uh, Chelmsford, I think, and I came across a cafe where alongside the human menu, there was a dog menu, and at the top of the dog menu was a puppuccino, which was some version of safe drink for dogs. And I just thought that was the funniest thing I'd seen in a long time. So take the little things, that's another thing. Okay, we are out of time here, so please join me in thanking our two fabulous panellists, Susie Gage and Dean Burnett. And um, I will be back here uh, in about 20 minutes to talk to Dan Davis about his book, The Secret Body, which is a fascinating exploration of all the things, the new views on the human body uh, that we don't hear so much about, but there is a lot going on. So uh, come back for that if you'd like to at five to four, and I will see you then. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much for listening. Support us at patreon.com slash Cosmic Shambles. Check out all the other stuff over at cosmicshambles.com. Follow us on Twitter at Cosmic Shambles or Cosmic Shambles Network on Instagram and Facebook. Bye for now. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network.